The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Outlander Business, the two-seater commercial SUV with over 2,000 litres of cargo space, two-ton towing capacity and legendary four-wheel drive technology. MitsubishiMotors.ie It's Monday. It's the right hook, and it's news talk. George Hook here, and uh, I've got some of the things that really got me going today on today's programme. Uh, well, uh, the weekend that was in it, I have to tell you, there was a lot of golf, needless to mention. And it's great to have the remote control to yourself when your wife is away. This is the last great acts of independence of a husband when he has the remote control when uh, the wife is away. So, uh, worrying as I was about Nice and Turkey and everything else, uh, I came into work this morning having watched The Week in Politics on RTE television last night. And as a result of watching that programme, I am more worried rather than less. But I was absolutely thrilled to read in my newspaper that the tarnished Minister for Justice, Frances Fitzgerald, said she would make no apology for deporting people in cases where evidence suggested they were helping Islamic extremism even though that evidence might not stand up in court. This it was a complete challenge to Colin McGorman and Amnesty who are completely uh, woolly on the issue of us tackling a known extremism. We did it with the IRA with special courts because we realised we couldn't get a conviction and I'm delighted that the minister has uh, done that. But what about the week in politics last night? Well, on RD1, they were talking, of course, about the Nice atrocity. Uh, on the panel was security analyst Declan Power, and he made what I thought was a fearsome condemnation of our attitude and our real care for the threat posed by terrorism in Ireland. This is what he said. In this country, a senior Islamic cleric spoke to members of the authorities about the idea of a countering violent extremism programme for Ireland and he was uh, kind of directed towards uh, one of the NGOs that deals with immigration. There's a lack of awareness and understanding and we are, we're going to reap the, uh, the, the whirlwind of that in the long term if we don't do this right. There you are. They actually sort of said, you know, don't bother, give it to a charity. You know, we don't want this kind of thing. Now that is... Across Ireland, there's that kind of belief. It's not going to happen to us. So uh, then you have the Minister for Expenditure, Pascal Donoghue. He was on the programme. So Powers just said, you know, we will sweep the whirlwind, he said, if we don't do this right. Uh, Pascal Donoghue did not encourage me that there's anything going on. We have a uh, Gardaí whose job it is is to have an outreach programme in place with communities who might be prone to the kind of exploitation that uh, Declan referred to there. Now, come on. Like, there might be Gardaí dealing with the, with the Residents' Association in Leafy Fox Hawk or looking after kids who might be in trouble with the law in, in parts of uh, inner-city Dublin. How many Arabic-speaking Gardaí do we have? 
how many Muslim Gardaí do we have? In fact, you can stretch it further. How many how many Gardaí are going around Dublin in turbans who are Sikhs? The thing is, we have no Gardaí who can actually find out what is going on in these, uh, what are in effect closed operations to us in these mosques and the, the uh, schools there that are part of them around the country. We we have no idea what's going on. So for Pascal Dunno to sort of say, oh, the guards know what's going on, I put it to Minister Donoghue. The guards have no idea what's going on. How could they? They don't have the wherewithal, the skills, the resources to do it. If if we can't fix Kinahan, how the hell are we going to fix radicalised young Muslims? Independent TD Claire Daly uh, has uh, had her moments in the sun in Dáil Éireann. But it's interesting when it comes to something like terrorism, just how knowledgeable is she? I think it's shown everybody how vulnerable we feel in a holiday setting. The fact that any normal aspect of life can be almost turned into a weapon is frightening. But that said, I haven't seen any evidence which suggests to me that this person was a a politically motivated, a religious fundamentalist, a terrorist (coughs) or an ISIS member. Yes, ISIS claimed it a couple of days later, but I wouldn't be so sure. Now, at that point, I was ready to throw my shoe at the television. You know, Daily, what the hell are you talking about? There is, there. we've just watched people moan down in Nice and you're trying to come up with some uh, nice logical explanation. Luckily for me, and more importantly, my cardiac condition, the ever-knowledgeable Declan Power was on the panel. Here's what he said to Independent TD, Claire Daly. I think Claire's point that there's no evidence. Look, Claire, that's, it's dangerous to uh, go down that route because it means we take our eye off the ball. The reality is we're seeing a new evolution in terrorism where there, doesn't ha- there aren't the same lines. You're looking, you'll be looking for evidence in the wrong place. There's a pattern here. To say that uh, we need it spelled out for us is to waste time and energy. He nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. And he demonstrated that the worst people to deal with this problem are actually the politicians because they are chicken. Pascal Donoghue, Claire Daly, Matty McGrath on the panel and any other TD is terrified of saying something lest he be labelled or her labelled a racist. So therefore what you get is nothing. You just get soft reaction. Look what happens when you dare suggest that there is some other alternative. Australian television presenter Sonia Kruger had this to say. I mean, personally, I think Andrew Bolt has a point here that there is a correlation between the number of people who are are Muslim in a country and the number of terrorist attacks. Now, I have a lot of very good friends who are Muslim, who are peace-loving, who are beautiful people, but there are fanatics... And does the population and the correlation between those two things, is it having an impact? Personally, I would like to see it stop now for Australia because I want to feel safe, as all of our citizens do, when they go out to celebrate Australia Day. 
Now, there, that happened during the night. The guy Andrew Bulchy refers to had written an article for the Sydney newspaper um, suggesting there was a correlation between the number of Muslim migrants and acts of terrorism. Sonia Kruger supports him in it, and she has been savaged by this Twitterati and the other social media, media lunatics who have called her every other name in the sun. Now, it's interesting when you listen to that. She had to say, you know, there are actually some nice Muslims and some of my best friends are Muslims because she can't actually put it as simply and as baldly as she said. There is a correlation between Muslim uh, migration and acts of terrorism. And what she then said was that Muslim migration should be banned in Australia. Now, it's really interesting. That is precisely what Trump said in America. So Trump gets absolutely savaged. Sonia Kruger gets absolutely savaged. George gets absolutely savaged. But I can tell you this increasingly as as acts of violence and terrorism continue as well they will and as well they must as night follows day the ordinary citizens in countries who merely want to live their lives safely in peace will be heard the Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie Anyway, I'm far more interested in my next guest, the Fine Gael MEP for Dublin, Brian Hayes, who joins me now. Brian Hayes, welcome to the programme. Thanks very much, George. I know you don't write the headlines uh, in your articles on the paper, but I was amused when the headline on your article reads, The West heaves a sigh of relief as democracy takes a step forward in Turkey. Turkey isn't the most democratic place in the world, is it? No, it's not. Um, and I didn't say that. No. Uh, I also said in the article, as I'm sure you read, that I mean it couldn't be described as a liberal democracy. But at one level, uh, what happened on Friday and Saturday, George, when effectively, whether you were for uh, President Erdogan or, or whether you were against him, and, and the country is very you know, evenly divided for and against him, the fact is that um, on both sides of the divide in Turkey, those who have a more Islamist view and those who have a more secular view, both of them, who were elected in the most recent parliamentary elections, said that the coup was wrong, that there's no future for military government in Turkey, and effectively stood with the president uh, and with the elected government in so much as they might despise him. They still stood for him. So in that sense, it was, I think, an important moment in Turkey because it could have gone the other direction. It could have been a disaster. There could have been a civil war. And I think what it sends out is a message of a country that is slowly but surely moving in the direction of the kind of values that I think Europe wants to see. But we're a long way from that, and I'm, I, I fully recognize that. But, I mean, actually, when you look at Turkish history, um, the military have had a major role, in fact, in its development. Yes. Isn't that right? So, Absolutely. like, like, sort of. So, the military involved in government in Turkey, if you look at it historically, is quite different from our experience. No, absolutely, and and you you know, in in some respects, the military has been 
quite a moderating force for the kind of trade-off that is required in a you know a, a very diverse country. Um, a trade-off that's requiring people to live together, yet they can put up with each other and they can agree a constitutional settlement. And I think the more dangerous thing in recent years is the fact that we are beginning to see a sharp focus on human rights in Turkey at a time when their economy was racing ahead. They were by far the the real star performer in that entire region of economies over a 10-year period, it virtually doubled their GDP. But then in more recent years, that's become into, it's become more difficult. And of course, they've had to deal with the whole migration crisis, which we in the European Union have effectively done a deal with them to see if we could resolve. So they're a key partner for Europe. They're a key economy in Europe. They're 80 million people. But does that mean, as I say in my article this morning in the Irish Independent, I mean, does that mean that tomorrow we are going to allow Turkey into the European Union? No. I mean, I... I would confidently predict in my lifetime, and I'm 46 now, pushing on a bit like yourself, George, uh, I don't think we're going to see it in my lifetime. But I can't say that we'll never see it. All right, uh, well, I'm glad to see that you've given at least 50 years before it's going to happen (laughs) because you and that generation is going to live to 100. Uh, But let me say this, though. When you think about uh, democracy and so on and where Turkey is today, do you not think some of the numbers are quite astonishing? Now, if the numbers are correct, this coup wasn't like six generals having a bright idea. 8,000 police officers have been suspended. Uh, 3,000 soldiers are held in prison, including ranks like generals and so on. And another 3,000 judges uh, are, are facing arrest. Like 100 generals are actually detained. There appears this is more than just a tiny coterie of rebels. Uh, well, on, on the outside looking in, it, it looks to be more substantial than a very small minority element. And I think the other thing, I'd, I'd, I think it's only fair to say, I mean, those that were following orders, namely, you know, people in the army who weren't in positions of authority were simply doing that. They didn't shoot on, on, on the people in a mass way. Uh, yes, they took up military positions. The tanks rolled onto the streets. We saw the scenes from the aircraft coming low, um, uh, you know, the other evening. But and there was it came to an end pretty quickly when it was clear that the public did not support this action. But you are it's a fair point you make. I mean this was not a minority element. That's and I think the issue that's going to dominate now uh, in terms of the Euro um, Turkey relationship is how does the president and the government deal with this? There was some suggestion over the weekend that the death penalty could be reimposed. I think that will be a disaster because it would immediately mean that whatever kind of relationship we want to have with Turkey into the future, that would stop, it would cease right there. And I hope that they don't yeah, do that. But, but Brian Hayes, as an MEP, obviously you're close to this. But just a little sort of history. The, the plot, the Hitler plot, the bomb plot, right? Hitler then, uh, or everybody and members of their family who was remotely implicated were strung up by, by, by piano wire. So we're not remotely suggesting that Turkey, I agree with this, should move down the death penalty route. But he's going to have, if you take these kind of calculations of number of soldiers, the number of judges, the number of police officers in jail, he would appear to have 20,000 malcontents sitting in his prison cells. 
Yes, and as as you know from the, I mean, it's the largest standing army, George, of any of the NATO member states. It is an enormous military power. And the numbers that you said, you know, are by no way the minority, but you're dealing with the great majority of the army who did back the government. The other difference, of course, between the, the Hitler case and the case... I'm not trying to make know, comparison now, you but know I mean, that. They, they didn't take the leadership out. The leadership um, was not taken out. I yeah. think the military took to, had the view that in some way this would lead to some kind of popular uprising against the government. And then, fascinatingly, both the government and the opposition, who hate each other, uh, all came together and said, no, this is not the way to deal mm. with modern Turkey. So that's why I think there is some crumb of comfort in this, that the only way forward in Turkey is through the ballot box. The, they, do, they do prize their relationship with Europe. They see themselves as a very important player for the Middle East, especially close to Syria, given what's happened, Kurdistan, given what's happened, and all of the problems that exist in the Middle East. They see themselves a major regional power, which they are. And I think that is the point, that the, the military, uh, that element of the military, which attempted to, to, to in, uh, introduce this coup, uh, were, were stopped within hours because it was clear yeah, no, no I get that. But 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 Turkey is more than, although quite rightly, you, you analyse Turkey in the way you've done it. It also, though, is very different in this regard, surely, that the, the, the European Parliament and the European Union and everything that you're crucially involved in has done a deal with Turkey in which money changed hands that Turkey would keep huge numbers of would-be um, refugees inside their borders yeah. rather than inside Europe. So uh, this this uh, Turkey is very crucial to the whole European experiment. No, you're absolutely right, George. Um, I mean, it was a deal. There was a lot of criticism at the time. I said at the time that I reluctantly supported it. But the whole objective in trying to get a deal in place was to ensure that the people, the poor people who are displaced from Syria, the poor people who are displaced from, and, and even huge numbers of people that remain in Lebanon and the like, that and we're talking about 2.7 million people currently in Turkey from Syria, an enormous population. And the objective was to ensure that those people would be close to their homeland, that if we begin to see some normalization of, of, of the post-Assad era, uh, whether he's a part of it or not, but some normalization in Syria, that those people could return home. It would be better for them, better for Europe, obviously, but better also for the region if people displaced by this terrible civil war could go back home uh, when some normalization emerged. So the objective was also to keep people away from the Mediterranean. Uh, we saw last summer and, and even this summer, uh, although in, in, in lesser numbers, huge numbers of people risking their lives to get yeah, away but, from uh, Sorry, but yeah, I accept that, Brian. But let's, let's stay with Turkey and, and the possible destabilization of the country. What the EU have done, the deal that they did, right, um, put an enormous number of people in Turkey. Now, every other country in Europe is scared out of its wits of having that number of people in its country. So maybe, John, maybe the the roots of this possible heave was based on the fact of uh, the change in Turkey because the number of people who've been, who've been put there by the EU. I mean, I've, I've heard that argued, but I, I think a more credible argument is the reason why 
the military may have moved against the president was down to the fact that in recent times we're beginning to see uh, the full force of ISIS move against Turkey because they have been so supportive of the attempts to clamp down, particularly in Syria. Uh, and they've also stopped um, the pathway through the country for those fighters that were on their way to Syria. And I think that may well have been a more relevant reason as to why this happened, because we, we did see less than three weeks ago the attack in the airport. Um, you're beginning to see security concerns in Turkey on a more daily basis than was before. Um, I don't know is that the sole reason, but I think it's more relevant than other reasons. And I think it's also the case that uh, in a circumstance where people's internal borders uh, looks weak, where there is large movements of people, people are looking for security options. Uh, and that's understandable. But those security options can only be given, George, in the context of a freely elected government with some kind of parliamentary yeah. approval and support. And I think if we move away from that as Europeans in terms of our relationship with third countries like Turkey, well, then we're in a, a very dangerous, uh, slippery slope to all kinds of catastrophe. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that whatever came from the weekend, that we can begin to see some kind of normalization in Turkey again, because they are key players and they are doing for us in Europe, a key role yeah. in trying to resolve this migration problem from Syria and from other war-torn parts of the region. And I hope, uh, you know, yes, we're paying for that. Yes, we, we have got to make all kinds of concessions, but it is better, is it not, that people okay. would stay close to their home rather than take this frightful uh, journey across the Mediterranean, uh, risking their lives, risking children, women, uh, men's okay. lives on a daily basis. It is better, is it not, that they, they at least will be in camps close to Syria rather than um, rather than be part of a kind of a human shield of people all the way across the Mediterranean. Okay. Thanks so much for joining me. That was Fina Gale, MEP uh, for Dublin, Brian Hayes. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie I am joined now by Talk Media News, uh, White House Chief Correspondent Victoria Jones, because the greatest convention of them all opened today. Victoria, in your long and distinguished career reporting, you probably mightn't have attended a convention like this, have you? No, I haven't, and, and I'm not attending this one, which is a little frustrating to me because I'm seeing some, you know, I've just seen a uh, a, a picture of a guy um, you know, packing packing a gun, wearing a strange um, hat and with sunglasses and with stickers on his head, wearing a T-shirt saying 9-11 equals inside job. And uh, then on the back, it says infowars.com, which is the website of an extremely inflammatory uh, uh, thing run by Alex Jones, who hosts um, a, a a talk show that suggests things like 9-11 was an inside job. And I'm thinking, why can't I be that? I want to, I want to interview him. And, and then there's Christians for Trump, and I want to interview them and say, how is Donald Trump like Jesus? Uh, yeah, well, um, Victoria, the, the issue of uh, Christians for Trump is because uh, I think he embodies a lot of things that Christians believe. Uh, well, maybe some Christians, but not all Christians. 
No, I'm but pretty. increasingly, Victoria. I mean, you 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 have now Baton Rouge. Okay, surely every newspaper headline in America, um, in Baton Rouge, of course, on on Sunday, three police officers shot dead. Um, every newspaper headline is helping Trump's campaign. Oh, I think that's I think that's the case. But then I think he unfortunately sometimes gets in the way. But then. Events help him. It's so, this is so interesting to watch, and I'll tell you exactly what I mean by that. Um, I, and I don't mean that events help him, in, in, I don't mean that in a creepy way. I just mean that things, awful things are happening, and in an awful way uh, for the events, they are seeming to help his campaign. But then he'll get in his own way, and he says things like he said today on, uh, on Fox News, uh, when he was talking about it, he was talking about President Obama's very strong remarks over the weekend. First, President Obama issued a written statement, an extremely fiery written statement, condemning the shooting yesterday. And then he went before the briefing room, um, the, the press briefing room in the White House yesterday afternoon. And Trump this morning said, there's something going on. And he said, I listened to the president, and sometimes his words are okay, but you just look at the body language. There's something going on. And one of the hosts said, there's something going on. What does that mean? Trump said, there's just a bad feeling, a lot of bad feeling about him. I, there's something going on. And, and this, is, this is where he sort of goes off a bit, because then people say, well, what do you say? You're saying that he's supporting the cop killings? Because, of course, that is the implication which Trump will later deny, but it derails his message for a little oh, bit. Oh, it may well do. But first of all, when he's on Fox News, he's probably preaching to the converted anyway. Um, and then secondly, he, he's, he knows, he's known now for at least four to six weeks. He's got a speech to give at the Republican convention, which will be watched by an enormous number of people. Surely, Victoria, he's not stupid. He is going to craft that speech uh, on the basis that it could win him the presidency. Well, I think he's going to craft the speech extremely carefully. Whether it can win him the presidency is, I think, up for grabs, and I think the presidency is up for grabs. I think it is neck and neck right now. I think he could win the presidency in this current political climate with these shootings going on. His, his campaign clearly has been, as uh, one uh, political pundit said, been studying uh, Richard Nixon 68. And in fact, Paul Manafort, his campaign manager, said they've been studying acceptance speeches of the last 50 years, including 1968, which, of course, was Richard Nixon. And he said that Trump is on his third or fourth draft of it, of his speech, uh, and Trump plans to use it. Okay, telephone. now, Victoria. So be very, very, very careful. Now, Victoria, I remember 68. I remember the 68 Nixon speech because 1968 around the world was was a pretty crucial year. You had the great, you had the great uh, 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 street riots in France. You had the Black Power demonstration at the Olympics. You had a whole pile of stuff going on in 68. But in relation to Nixon, Nixon said in order to get elected as a Republican, in the campaign, you were as far right as you could possibly be, and then at the convention, you worked your way back 
to the centre. Now, that's the key point about about this speech of Trump's. Already he's amended his attitude about keeping all the Muslims out. He's now saying, which I think uh, will resonate, they must be subjected to extreme vetting. You know, He's also I, saying they shouldn't come from terrorist states, and he hasn't defined that by a definition of a terrorist state at this point could, of course, include France and Belgium. No, but you see, the difference is, Victoria, that he's not your kind of guy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah, therefore, yeah, but, uh, but, I mean, but uh, if you use logic, which of course he's not—he's not campaigning on logic. He's correct. campaigning on pure emotion. He's not campaigning on logic. So, so I understand. I mean, if I was interviewing him, I would point that out to him. But I'm not interviewing him, and the people who are interviewing him fail to point that out to him. Which is which is shame on them. Yeah, but uh, I was looking at some polls. I I I was looking at some polls recently uh, on on the electoral college, rather than the the sort of just simple poll fifty six four and forty eight against or whatever. A number of states have shifted his way. Is that not so? Uh, yes, they well they've. I think they've shifted his way and they've shifted away from Hillary Clinton is more to the point. Yeah. I don't think they've shifted his way yet. I think they'll shift his way at the end of this week. Uh, what they've done in the last couple of weeks is they've shifted away from Hillary Clinton as a result of the FBI director excoriating her over her private email server, even though no charges were brought against her. I think that was extremely damaging for Hillary Clinton. And that, that could, in fact, cost her the presidency. But also, though, you know, you've watched a lot of them, and I've stayed up late at night watching them over here. Um, there are states which are going to go Democrat or Republican, no matter who, what happens. Isn't that yeah. right? They're just going to go. And yeah. it's extraordinary. The American election probably boils down to about four states. And, and places like Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, yeah. places like this are Florida. vital. Yes, they are. And now Paul Manafort, um, Trump's campaign manager, is saying today that he thinks that he's putting 20 states into play. They're putting states like Connecticut into play. They, they're putting states into play, they say, that have never been put into play before. And uh, some of these states, I think, are a reach, but some of these states are definitely doable because um, Hillary Clinton is very weak in certain demographics. Of course, he is weak in some demographics, but she is weak. And all the polls are showing these are the two most unpopular candidates in the history of polling. People are voting against. People are not voting for. It's incredibly depressing speaking to people about this. Where, where do, um, what, are, what are Hillary's? I mean, she skates home, presumably, with uh, African-Americans and Hispanics and so on. So where is she Older with? Older African-Americans, not even necessarily with younger African-Americans. All right, okay. So where is she weak? She's weak with, uh, with white men, uh, particularly blue-collar white men. And she's weak with um, some uh, white women, uh, white mums, um, security-concerned mums she's weak with. Uh, she's weak uh, with working-class mums, I would say. And, uh, I, and she's not doing well with millennials and young people. 
and uh, the, the the Bernie backers who you know in theory are now on board. Well, then the, the ones who had said they were going to go to Trump, the vast majority are not going to go to Trump, but. They may not go anywhere at all in November and vote. They may just not vote. And she's got to get them energized. And more to the point, Bernie Sanders has got to get them energized, not just to vote against Trump, but to vote for Hillary Clinton. It remains to be seen whether he's going to do it. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. It's going to be an interesting few days because, of course, in Cleveland, the Republican convention, uh, if you're going to Cleveland for the convention, I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is there as well. So you might go there. Victoria Jones, Talk Media News, where she is the White House chief correspondent. Damon says... Can you tell me where we can get that recording up by the Mormon group you played yesterday at the end of your show? It was uplifting and powerful. Well, I, it's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And you'll find it on YouTube. And you can just download it, Eamon. But it's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And uh, Ollie, agree, I actually agree with this text by Ollie. Uh, all the people saying, you know, that, that religion and everything is a, an invention. If Jesus Christ was a fictional character, then by the same measure, so would Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great. There's ten times more historical, objective, and scientific evidence for Jesus' life than Julius Caesar, for example. I must say that is true. I was talking to my grandson who said him and de Valera was more believable, but it's quite interesting. Forget about the religion point. Just the historical fact is pretty clear.